Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Kenneth. And tonight we're looking at episode two of Star Hunter Redux, Trust. Lucretia is helping Percy with her martial arts training. Important stuff since Percy has entered a competition on Mars, their next port of call. One problem, Dante knew about neither the training nor the competition, of which neither he approves. Family drama ensues, leading to Percy and Dante refusing to talk to each other like a pair of children. But there's no time to resolve that. Rudolfo calls. He's got an easy assignment for them. Escort two dangerous prisoners, already in custody, from Mars to the new maximum security prison on Mercury. This new prison is only for the really top-tier criminals, fully automated and located on the permanent sunny side of the planet. With no guards, there is no one to assist, bribe, or take hostage in an escape attempt, and no way to survive outside for more than a few minutes if they did. The police have no love lost with bounty hunters, so they jerk Dante and Lucretia around. When they arrive to pick up the two prisoners, there's only one. Much to their inconvenience, they must take the first prisoner back to the Transutopian, then leave him there while the two of them return to pick up the second prisoner. The first one is a handsome young man who is locked in a holding cell aboard the Transutopian. As Dante and Lucretia leave to get the other, Dante warns Percy to stay completely away from this prisoner. Don't even talk to him. He is highly dangerous. No sooner than Dante and Lucretia leave, Percy is down at the cells, having a heart-to-heart with a silver-tongued murdering criminal. When Caravaggio attempts to intervene for her safety, she hacks into him, making him forget all about it so she can continue. Back on the Mars station, the second prisoner escaped from the cops, and Dante and Lucretia must chase him down and capture him. The whole process, of course, took a whole lot longer than anticipated, and during their absence, the prisoner, Jeremy, really wins over Percy. On the flight to Mercury, Percy continues her secret visits to Jeremy. He uses her doubts about the incorruptibility of the criminal justice system to sow the seeds that he's not really guilty of the things he's been convicted of. While he doesn't even try to get her to let him free, he does convince her to give him her camera, which is capable of recording and projecting three-dimensional images of a person, and then programming it to say and do things. That way, he'll have a recording of her to remember her by in his long, lonely confinement on Mercury. The orbit of Mercury will be tricky. Percy will need to change the orbit several times to keep the transutopian in the penumbra of the planet, so she must stay aboard the ship and remain diligent. Instead, she sabotages the ship and play-acts out her leaving and running away with Jeremy using hologram projections. 
In another foolproof security component of the prison, people must arrive on the dark side. Then a special, fully automated, high-temperature-resistant shuttle picks them up and transports them to the prison. On the way, our villains start to get cocky because they know something our heroes don't know. There's an armed man up front who shows himself. Forced to surrender their guns, they are tossed out on the sunny side to die while the shuttle returns to the Transutopian. To make matters worse, there wasn't a guy, it was a hologram, and they make sure Dante knows it was Percy that made it all possible. When the prisoners return to the ship, Jeremy tells Percy that Lucretia died in an accident, and Dante is critically wounded and needs immediate medical attention. Against Caravaggio's warnings, she lets them in. Jeremy immediately knocks her senseless. Well, even more senseless than she's been throughout the episode so far. But she's able to come around enough to use the holograph projector to distract them and escapes. She starts to sabotage the ship even more. Things are looking bad for Dante and Lucretia. Until they aren't, the shuttle returns to pick them up. They blow a hole in the Transutopian to get back on board. Finally, Dante and Lucretia come face to face with the two criminals in a Mexican standoff. Percy sneaks up behind the bad guys and surprises them enough to get our heroes back to the upper hand. They are locked in the prison on Mercury. Leaving Mercury, Percy apologizes, somewhat, to Lucretia for, you know, doing things so stupid that she nearly got them all killed. Um, then she has a conversation with Dante and he seemingly gives her the opportunity to leave the ship if she wants. She doesn't. And it's all smiles and family time again. The end. I have a question. Yes. Uh, I, I, some this I, I don't consider this in any way spoilery. Is there any controversy about the order of episodes of this show? I know, for example, using Firefly as an example, you know, there's the Fox order, and there's the order that the producer wanted, and there's the DVD order. Is this supposed to be episode two? Is, is there any chance that this was supposed to be episode ten? Uh, you're half right. Okay. It was supposed uh, to be episode one. No, please don't say that. <laughs> it wasn't. The the okay. Divinity Cluster, which the producer said was supposed to be episode one, was the fourth one produced. Okay. But what about airing? It's it's and the airing order that I'm The Let me check about. IMDB on that. While you look at that, I'll, I'll, I'll start off by saying I don't think that with only two episodes under my belt. If somebody came to me and said, pick an episode of Star Hunter Redux that you would show them to get them hooked, this would not be it. No. For me. Um, it, it, it's, it, it has two flaws to it, major flaws. We'll, we'll call them two. One is the fact that Percy must be handling the idiot ball the entire episode for this to even have anything to do. She has to be acting in a, a horrifically stupid way. And I I have issues with writers that have to do that. I mean, it, it, hap it can happen to a worse or a less degree. Sometimes in a lesser degree, you've got a story going on and it's maybe it's not long enough. And so you have one of the characters do something stupid so that there's a, a, a you know, the peril gets ratcheted up a little bit so you can squeak another 10 minutes out of it. But this episode... Nothing at all would happen if she weren't just doing the dumbest things she could possibly <laughs> do. Yes. So that that's one. And the second is, I think this episode could be a little better or 
I could have received this episode a little better if this was down the line quite a few episodes and I had gotten a feel for what a jerk Dante could be or how overprotected Dante was or how unreasonable he can be when it comes to her and giving explanations and how, you know, all we have on Percy is that kind of bubbly, can I get off the ship? No. Oh. Well, can I get off the ship? No. Well, can I get off the ship? No. Kind of attitude in the last one, which is harmless but annoying. Here, she's just absolutely should be put out an airlock. And yes, I and 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 I don't get Dante any. So I mean, I'm going to assume from the little that I know about the the show externally and from the little bit we've gotten in these two episodes that Dante, I now know Dante is looking for his son. I now know Dante's family has been wiped out except for Percy. I can extrapolate that Dante is overprotective yes. of his one remaining thing. I, that I can extrapolate on, but it would have been much better had I had that built up over time to see just how protective he is here. They just throw us in the deep end and he's acting irrationally and she's acting irrationally. He's right, but he's irrational about it. And she's acting irrationally and wrong about it. And the two just come together for a, a, a story that I just can't put out of my mind saying, well, if you just had ever watched any TV show ever in your life, you would have known that this is what the guy was doing to you. And, and so Yes. I was there there are some fascinating things in it but but those really put me put me down. I take your uh, point. Um I take your point. I'm in fact um I just rewatched the episode within the last 2 hours because I wanted it fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was noticing this is early Percy. The later Percy okay. is um much more interesting. But to answer your... I'd like to um, get to know Percy. Yes, you know? and you will. To answer your um, original question, the first six... the uh, There was a point I thought about um, when I was watching the um, unremastered versions on DVD, and I was watching them on D in DVD order. And in mm-hmm. that one, The Divinity Clusters, episode four, because... The the disc had the disc for the first season have the episodes in production order. Okay. And we haven't seen the first one produced yet. We will soon. Okay. And um but um this one was the second one aired. You know, okay. on the eighth of November of two thousand. Okay. I you know, I know that when a television show gets made, there are any number of reasons why they produce them in the order they produce them. Not always, not always from a story purpose, but from a logistical purpose, they can get this person on that day and they can't get that person. You know, there's all sorts of things that they do within that block. So you you can't rely on the production order. And then unfortunately, then you have the creator who says, yeah, this is one, two, three, and four. And then you have the network that says, actually, we kind of want to lead off with the one with the monster in it because, you know, that'll get the viewers hooked. Or... Because because we enjoy the salt vampire in Star Trek. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly the premise there. And so um, it's, I don't know. So, but if this was meant to be number two, it's in the wrong place. 
And maybe, maybe if there'd been a different episode one, it could have been come across. But, but as it is, it's like, wow, I, in the first episode, I didn't like Lucretia. And I liked Percy, even though she was too young. And I was, the jury was out on Dante. And in this episode, I like Lucretia. I can't stand Percy. And Dante seems like he's too thick-headed not to be a dead man already. Yes. Um, I mean, who leaps into an airlock without a suit? Good point. To to chase up a, a bad guy. <laughs> it's like, yes. It's like that's that's pretty that's pretty risky. And he also uh, in that same chase sequence completely ignores the wounded people. And you know, I get that there's an urgency to catching that guy, but at the same time. They made a point of showing us that where Lucretia stops is like, uh, 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 you know, hurt guy, hurt guy. It's like, uh, keep on going. Single minded. Um, and and so kind of like yeah, it's not 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 putting in a great performance. It, it, it extends to his. Um, he tells Percy not to talk to the guy. OK, why? Because I said so. How about he's a dangerous psychopath who can lie? I mean, that's you know, psychopath has no compunction about lying or saying anything. It can say it with absolute conviction because they have no uh, remorse over anything like that. I mean, that would have been information to give her. Yes. Um, not giving her the key to this room to get in there. Uh, probably, you know, could have been one, although obviously she could hack the ship. It, it just everything relied on the fact that they just didn't communicate and and then she just didn't do things that she ought, True. ought True. to do. True. Um, Th- this is a question that I've asked before. It, it It's always kind of it's always been one of those things that you, you wonder how how to work it in acceptably. All right. So, for example, if. Uh, another TV show in, say, 1970 had shown some alien being materialize in front of them. Like he came down from his spaceship and he materializes right in front of them. In the 1970s, they absolutely positively would have gone out of their way to have everybody go, what? What? How is that possible? I've never seen anything like it. The concept is amazing to me. When nowadays you'd look at it and you'd go, yeah, transporter. Even if it's not called a transporter, you you know Star Trek. Star Trek has become part of the world that we live in, not just. And so there have been so many, many, many TV shows that I've seen where Stern Father... um, or gruff father, uh, teenage daughter, teenage daughter feels father is being too stern and gruff and restrictive. And teenage daughter encounters guy. Dad says, now stay away from that guy. He's pond scum. Teenage daughter thinks he's so cute. And he's got such a silver tongue. He's just misunderstood. I love him. And he would never get me in trouble because he loves me too. And then she gets burned and dad gets proved right. Although dad kind of softens at the end. I mean, it's such a, it's such a show I've seen so many times. I find it hard to believe that in the world of Star Hunter, they haven't seen whether or not they're watching old TV shows from the 60s. But, you know, there must be some sort of popular culture 
story, these stories keep being told over again. And they do resonate. There is, there is a truth to it. But I would hope that now, even though there's a truth to it, a self-aware teenager would go, I have seen this before. <laughs> At least give lip service to it. It's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe. Nah, he's just a, he's just a misunderstood guy in a leather jacket. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know how you would work that into the story, but it, it, I would have liked a little more self-awareness on her part. Uh, or I would have liked him to have done it in, in a little bit less obvious way. I mean, he really went straight for the, oh, you're such a beautiful girl and you don't even realize it. That's even more beautiful to me. That's like the most beautiful girl in the world is the girl that doesn't know she's so beautiful. But I mean, she is beautiful and just doesn't know it. And, like, and she's just <laughs> lapping it up. And, 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 you know, she didn't quite chew on her hair, but I thought she was gonna pull a strand down and put it in her mouth and kind of chew on it like, like that flirty look, but maybe she did. I didn't notice it though, Bob. So that, that, that was really kind of the, that, that's really the, the sticky point there for me in this, in this episode. Well, I had, um, I admit this is not my favorite episode of the series to be sure. Um, I'm in my my current re, my in my current rewatch of Star Hunter Redux, Star Hunter Star Hunter Redux. Um, I'm about halfway through season one now, and so I can watch this episode and recognize the Chekhovian guns lying everywhere. Right. So I because obviously I'm watching it differently, but still that doesn't take away from the annoyance factor from of related to factors that you just mentioned. I um regarding Percy's character, she is young, she is technically brilliant, she's apparently good at math and physics as we go as we see going on going forward, but she is emotionally stunted. She is not well socialized. And how could she be? She's been on the ship for ten years and she almost never gets off. And sometimes when she gets off the ship, bad things happen to her. <laughs> yeah, I can see how this is gonna uh, could play out. Yeah, and and I would have, and and I think that comes to the my point about this being too early in the series. I would have liked to have seen those Chekhovian guns for this planted a little better earlier. You know, if we had seen the seeds of this planted a few times or hinted at a little bit more than we had when this episode hit, then. I would go, okay, well, you know, we've been building to that, but it, it didn't work that way. So it, it just, it just seemed an ill, ill-placed choice for, for episode two. And another thing about it is because it is such a a retread of a plot you've seen, that's not really what you want to go with, with number two. Um, it, it just kind of, it just yeah, kind of could I put you off. I see your point. Yes. Um, the next episode would have been a better choice for episode two. An even better choice for episode two would have been the fifth one. I uh, think when I looked at the previews, which I include as part of the show, I thought this one looked pretty good <clears throat> from last time. I thought, this looks like this might be promising. And I was wrong. But then the... The previews for the next one obviously does have something about his son in it. And so we might actually get some of the exposition about the emotional trauma that he or the burden that he is bearing uh, on that. And so 
I, I I actually thought those very thoughts when I looked at that trailer. I said, I think I should have seen that one first. Just based on just those little bits. It was like, I have a feeling that that probably should have set up Dante's character a little better. But, You're right. But we will find out. And you, I we can tell you, out. without giving you any spoilers as to content, you will get the exposition. <laughs> okay. About about what's Fact, going on. About 15 with, minutes of it, no one. <laughs> about, about what was going You'll get the exposition about... Um, Dante's um, emotional burden. Okay. And that will help. That will help a lot. I, I don't actually want to pick on Percy, but obviously she is kind of the, the key here. I will say her whole bit with the hollow novels that she was doing there with the, you know, I'm going to run off with Jeremy and goodbye Dante and stuff. Really deeply disturbing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, re- Really disturbing. Uh, the fact that she, it it kind of almost looks like she already has some of this built up so that she can do these things. And there is that kind of comment at least two or three times about Percy and privacy. Or, sorry, Caravaggio and privacy. And I, th- and I think that's a good point. I think that's a very interesting concept that hopefully, well, I don't know that they're going to go into it very deeply, but... You know, in a world where we currently live, where I won't say her name, um, either Amazon's lady or Apple's lady, I won't mention either of them by name because I will trigger devices on the other end of our listeners' yes. uh, podcast, um, are listening to us all the time. Yes, they are. Listening for things that they need to pay attention to. And the computer is everywhere on the ship. The computer has to be listening to know when they want to get information from it. And the fact that the computer apparently has a privacy setting where it knows not to interrupt or participate unless there's an emergency is an interesting concept. The fact that that's programmed in, but Caravaggio is still listening because he knows she's doing something she shouldn't do. And then finally goes, yeah, no, sorry, I have to, is also an interesting notion of of where this technology may go someday. Because how do you, you know, how do you not, how, how do you turn that off and not have the possibility that the computer is listening at all times? It, it has to be ready. So, I, I yeah, I, it's a, it's that a good was interesting. Point. Yeah, it's a good point. And uh, there really isn't, even in privacy mode, there isn't privacy. You know, maybe it's not recording it. Maybe it's, you know, processing it in a in an interactive way. Like, does she say Caravaggio? No, then I forget that. And just kind of don't stream it into the computer memory. But uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm sure that's not going to be something they'll go into. That's a nerdy thing that crossed my mind just from the technology standpoint. But But it's interesting that they thought about it. Um, and that, that they gave words to it, uh, at some point. I also would, I would also like to point out that my dislike of the idiot ball, I, I want to go you know, on the record and say, people do stupid things. All people, smart people, dumb people, everybody does stupid things in their lives. That, that happens from time to time. That's a human condition. And if we accept the premise that storytelling is supposed to present the human condition, then I can accept 
that you are going to do something stupid. I just really would have liked to have, I would have liked to have been along for the ride, right? I, I, I would have liked to have been there in such a way that I felt it was believable that, that she fell for. Um, I'll, I'll give a weird example. Okay. I'll give a really weird example. My father, who has passed away several years ago, uh, was objectively a, 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 an intelligent man um, by IQ statements, if, you, if, if nothing else. But he was an intelligent man. And he got conned. He got in a classic, guys got arrested, put away. He got conned. And you look at it and go, how is that possible? And he explained it to me. And I could in a way, totally see how it worked. You know, it involved, it involved teams of people. Um, and it involved, he was selling his house and it was worth, let's say $150,000. And a realtor came and looked at the house and seemed to like it. And that was acting as an agent for somebody. And then the guy came along and he looked at the house. He liked it. And, you know, it'd been on the market for a little while. And the guy goes, yeah, I want to buy this house. But unfortunately I have a, I got this divorce going on. And I can't quite work this the way. So what I would like to do is I'd like to offer you a sizable chunk on the cost of the house. So let's say $70,000, which is my dad's like, well, you know, no. He said, and I own this property down in Wilcox, Arizona, and it's worth $250,000. Now, I'm not going to give you that land because that's ridiculous because it's worth $250,000. But what I would do is I will give you a one-year option on this property. Um, or I, I will sell you the property, basically. I will title the property to you, and then I will have a one-year option on it. And I'll give you, you know, as part of this deal. So I have one year to sell it. And if I sell it, I get, you know, anything over the balance that they agreed upon, which is like another $75,000 or something. And I get everything above and beyond that, and we're done. And that's after my divorce, and I'm all... I'm all good to go. And my dad's kind of like, yeah, I'll think about it, but no. And the guy leaves. And then the realtor comes back and he says, you know, actually, that was a really good deal. I'll tell you what. I think that's such a good deal that I'll give you another $2,000 if you'll sell me another option on that property for a year after his option. And my dad's like, huh, that's that sounds like this guy's really... You know, he's a realtor. He should know what he's doing. And my dad used to be in title work. So he went down to the county seat of that county, which was in another part of the state. And he checked the records. And all those pieces of land around there had been selling for outrageous amounts of money. And it was like on a freeway off ramp or something. And all those pieces went together. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a sure thing. Well, no, it wasn't because the realtor was working in cahoots with the guy. That was part of the con to make it look better by offering the second option. And the guy was in cahoots with his quote unquote ex-wife. So that wasn't, they were working together and they had been using shell companies to buy up all these absolutely worthless pieces of land. And on paper, they look like they were selling for outrageous amounts of money. And so that raised all the comps and it raised all the property tax and the county assessor took that in and it was all looked completely above the board. And there is a, and I, and I pass that on A as a warning to anybody <laughs> ever get somebody come to you and give you an offer that sounds too good to be true. But 
peppers it with enough reality that you you get drifted a little bit further and further and further away from your common sense with all the little pieces. And that's what I want to see when I see a story when somebody gets handed the idiot ball. Because my dad got handed the idiot ball. And he took it and he ran with it. And he sold his $150,000 house for basically $75,000 and and a piece of land, which to this day I still own and is worth 500 bucks. And the wow. taxes are like $300 a year. <laughs> like, so, uh, you know, long-term ramifications. It, I guess it would make a great story on the Hallmark Channel, you know? <laughs> Yes. And of course they caught these people, but then they'd gotten rid of all the money and got it out of the country and they spent time in jail, but he never got a penny out of them and all the other people. And, and so it's doable and it's believable and credible. And you could, you could totally, you could totally do something, uh, in a story. So idiot balls can be good here. Not, and I'll leave that. I'm done there. I'm done. I'm not going to pick on the idiot ball probably anymore. (laughs) It's like, Except I have questions like, why was she messing up the ship? And I, I didn't even understand that. When they went to Mercury, she just immediately got out the, is it a baseball bat or something? And she was just knocking the wires out. Why was she doing that? Was that after the McNaughton cousins had come back? No, that was before. Ah. Caravaggio was telling her she was supposed to be doing something. And she had took oh, a, yes. I forgot, and she was knocking stuff out. She was knocking wires out. And... I thought she's just deliberately sabotaging the ship. Is she already in cahoots with them? You know, like they had slipped a secret plan and then I, I think she was throwing a tantrum. Yeah. That, that's it because she wasn't in cahoots with them. She was right. She was being, totally fooled. Yeah. Being, she was being immature. So that was kind of, that was kind of a weird, uh, a weird aspect of it. And again, not in a character that I understand about her. So there were some so writing some in- problems with this episode. And it is the same writer as uh, the the Divinity Cluster, I noticed. The, let me see here. Or story by. I wrote this down. The writers were Nilu Giron and Peter I. Norton. Wow, that also sounds like a... Who wrote various episodes of Star Hunter. Okay. So there is a bit of world building in this. And it was in in many ways more interesting to me than, than the plot there. Well, let's let's start with the uh, the Mercury Prison. Yes, cool idea. No pun intended. It's a very um, hot idea, shall we say? It's, it's a hot idea. Is it really cost effective? <laughs> I, this is this is one of those ones. Like, what? I think we had this discussion at the beginning of Blake Seven. Does it really make sense to haul a ship out to a planet and dump a bunch of prisoners there to die at, at, at expense, or in a in a Society that doesn't seem to value life too terribly much. Does this prison make sense? I mean, how, how how ethical are the people in this this universe, this world we're we're building up? Uh, they're not. Okay. So a dead guy is a lot easier to handle than a fully automated prison maintained on on Mercury. And I noticed that the prison was willing to kill them because it says there at the end, you know, first infraction, you'll get electrocuted. Second infraction, we'll use lethal force. So it's not like they're opposed to killing them. It's just that they're not, they're going to go to a lot of expense to not kill them, but imprison them forever. I think, I think it was imprisonment 
It was a life sentence. It was a life sentence. I kind of got the impression the way they said life sentence, they, they meant not like our life sentence, but they meant like till you die life that's what, sentence. That's what it meant, yes. Yeah. Or I, I noticed at the end that um, Jeremy, that was his name. Yeah. Um, was um, just just arrived, just arrived and uh, I got the impression that he was beginning to lose his marbles. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a really big, spacious cell for one guy too. Yes, it was. And a and a and a toilet. It was a. It's like wow, that's that's kind of fancy. Not only is this place uh, like a luxury spa on the sunny side of Mercury, but uh, it's it's very roomy. I guess maybe there'll be fifty guys in that cell before it's all over. But uh, at the moment, it looked like he had a he had quite a quite a lot of room. Um, the cops. I think we're told explicitly they're jerks. They are. I guess that's because they don't like bounty hunters. They don't like them at cops all. don't like cops don't like bounty hunters. It's odd that they would hire bounty hunters to do prison transport. Um, in the universe of Star Hunter, um, it makes sense. Um, and I keep in mind that my knowledge of this series comes from having seen all forty-four episodes. Right. So sometimes in my mind, I don't always piece together when. I first learned this piece of information, but I, when I watch it, I just put it all together. And, yeah, but, that's tough. That is, yeah, that is tough to is. do. It is, but uh, it there is a running theme in Star Hunter that the bureaucracy in the various federations in the solar system okay. is so complex that it's... The, even that the governments just find it easier to hire outsiders such as bounty hunters to do the work for them. Okay. I'll go with that. I had a question uh, about the governments of this universe. It's like prison on Mercury. This came from, I think, Mars Orbital Station. Is the government of Mars the same government as the moon and of earth i mean is it one unified uh overarching government with lots of sub-governments or is it lots of independent colonies it it kind of raises questions about you know how come mars gets mercury for their prison if if it's not you know the unified solar system it's not a unified solar system okay um, the you know, I've been trying to for years. I've been trying to piece together the political structure in in universe. Okay, um, uh, we have references to us to the Saturn Federation and the Jupiter Federation, also to the Mars Federation. Okay, um, and the uh, was this, this uh, Mars Federation, as I understand it, is the inner worlds. Okay, so that would include Earth. Yes. Okay. And the, and then the Jupiter Federation is all the terraformed moons of Jupiter. That makes also makes sense. And the Saturn Federation Saturn. Is, is all the terraformed moons of Saturn. Okay, so I can I can go with that. So it's kind of we'll we'll treat this like inner worlds are probably one uh, entity. Although he did refer to it, Jeremy, he referred to it as. I don't know if he called them courts or justice systems um, and ask yourself if they're all, he didn't use the word incorruptible, but you know, he, he, he blatantly asked, do you really believe that the courts are all 
on the up and up. And clearly Percy does not. And they're not. And fair enough. I I guess it it sounds reasonable to assume that it's kind of uh, dodgy out there. There's also a tantalizing but completely unrealized line that he says, you know, I'm being put here because of my family, not because of anything I did. He said, I'm not my family. I remember and, that. and there's no reference to his family other than that throwaway line, as if, you know, if we'd known his last name, Smith or whatever it was, you'd go, like, oh, the Martian Smiths? Oh, we do. We do actually know his last name. Did we? I, McNaughton. I, Mc, oh, yeah, that's right. You did say that earlier, McNaughton. But um, I, well, I was thinking about that because on my most recent reviewing of the episode, and I, I, I assumed that he was just making that up as an excuse to, so he did not have to accept responsibility for his violent criminal actions. It could be. And he might have been talking about his cousin. I'm not my family. Alistair's, <clears throat> um, as I say, a different way of presenting himself. So I mean, it it could have been that I kind of got, I kind of got a Romeo and Juliet vibe there, you know, my family, mm-hmm. <laughs> not not saying that her family and his family interacted, but just that <clears throat> people would be prejudiced against him because of the name of his family. But it could just be, you know, really silver tongue. That's what she wanted to hear, or that that worked, that 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 gave her plausibility to buy the lie, which is what you what you need. Um, the best lies contain some accuracy. Yeah. I mean, you work on what she already knows. She already knows the criminal justice system is corrupt. It could be that, that there's a caste system or a, uh, feudal system of some kind. And that guy just comes from the wrong, the wrong family. That's not in power right now. And they're, they're at issue. So, um, let's see, did I have anything else on the world building that... Well, you're right that this is about world building. It's also about laying out some of the background on characters. Um, mainly Percy when she's carrying the idiot ball in this case. But the world building is a big part of it. And at the end, uh, to be forgetting the last couple things about Percy, she goes in to see Lucretia. Says, I'm sorry. Uh, which, by the way, uh, I kind of got the impression Lucretia hid what she was looking at. Was yes, I was man. about to mention that, but go ahead. But it's not her dad, so I, because uh, the the color of his skin was wrong, appeared to be, and the hair appeared to be wrong. Um, um, so it was a it was a deliberate hide. Okay, she comes in, she says, "I'm sorry, I yeah, I'm, you know, shucks, I'm I done wrong." And Lucretia rightly points out, well. You know, you did nearly get everyone on board killed. Uh, her response, you're right, I'm evil. And then turn around and walk away. Really weird. Um, really says, I don't, I'm not taking that very seriously. I, I didn't, I didn't get that as being, I feel bad about what I did at all. Um, I, I, I don't know how to take it, but I didn't take it like he just wouldn't say that. <laughs> you know, I know. Yeah, I learned my lesson or anything like that. But not, yeah, I'm evil. 
wow, okay, no, you need to be locked out of the computers. You, you, I, I mean, you, they, Dante needs to hire a mechanic to join the crew because she can't be trusted. And, I mean, she's family. He can't get rid of her, but... This is the same problem we had with most of the major characters in Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> they, they've all done something wrong and she gets How fired? many times did Data take over the ship? Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, there was a time, there was, I remember one episode where, so, after which someone should have drummed Dr. Crusher out of Starfleet. I'm sure of that. I'm sure. I, that point about Data and that point about, you know, their actions for things that they've done, they don't pay the consequences of what they do because they reset it at the end of the episode, which is you know, part of the flaw of episodic television. It is. And not saying you could headcanon this out, but you could headcanon this out by saying, you know, the the HR rules that you see in 20th century or 21st century Earth are not the HR rules that we have. We forgive. You know, people make mistakes. We forgive. In the case of Data, you know, he's a machine. And he has been demonstrated to be... A huge asset and a, a huge liability at the same time. You'd have to do something. I don't know what it is, but you'd, you'd have to set up, you know, maybe make him wear a tinfoil hat so the signals can't mm-hmm. get at his positronic brain or something. Right. I, I don't know. Um, and I guess, you know, that is the the promise of modern television where I can be watching a show and halfway through you think, I don't actually know if this character is going to make it to the end of the, of the show and because they could do something dumb and they could die because of it. And then that could drive the plot along post post character death. But in these older shows, you know, it's going to be fine unless it's a, you know, season finale or something of that nature. Um, Yeah. I, I, and, and I know this show, we talked about it a little bit last time. This is a transition. This is kind of the beginning of the era in American television where they began to kind of do the mix and match of, of the themes, which can be successful or it can be, it can be unsuccessful. Well, te- on technically, it was British in, it's British and Canadian television. True. That's true. I, I, I do think of the Canadians as Americans. I'm um, sure they do too. So, you know, <laughs> North Americans at the very right. least. Um, I, the question is what market were they making it for? Cause we have actually seen this in Moonbase three, which is, you know, 1970s British show. I, I have been watching through and, and it's like, Oh, I don't know if this character is going to make it to the end. Um, and it surprised me. And so it, the theme has been around, particularly across the pond, but it's, you know, it's this point where the stuff that's being made for largely for syndication in the United States or airing in the United States that they've kind of begun to 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 branch out, much like they did with Babylon 5 uh, on the on the show. Well, it, it did. Ha- it did have a syndicated market in the United States and it aired on a cable channel in Canada. That's my understanding. What was that conversation between Dante and Percy at the end? About going the arm checked. About 
I don't want to keep you on the ship oh, if you want to leave. And the whole the whole thing about from the I, the arm check, I assume, was just heard saying, I'm here to look after you. You need somebody to look after you and I'm going to stick around. That's my excuse for staying. It's her. It's it's as close as we're going to get to. I love you, Uncle Dante, I think. It is. For um, now, um, it does. There are some tender family moments coming up. Good. But when he started the whole, you know, she walks in, he doesn't yell at her. He gives her the, I don't want to keep you on this ship if you don't want to be on the ship. And I'll, you know, I'll let you go if that's what you want. I genuinely thought this was another hollow novel. I thought this was her playing that out because it seems so completely off character for what we saw the rest of the episode of Dante that like, oh, wait, no, that's real. Oh, yeah. was he really going to let her leave? Uh, in, in the universe, she is 18. That might not be of age of majority in the in the far flung future. But yeah, I, I, I just I wasn't sure if that was a gambit. I also remember from some uh, from a subsequent episode, a conversation he had Dante had with Percy, where he said that she should be college and she should have friends her own age and she shouldn't be on the ship with him. Well, at least he's got that. But, you know, he should actually be doing that. Come to think of it. I mean, sure, he had to raise her and. You make do with what you make do with, right? If you're living on the road, you take your kids with you. She's his kid, essentially. Yes. But when they, you're supposed to be preparing them for the age when they get out of the house and start making their life. I mean, has he been putting money aside for her college fund? Uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be a, it almost seems an abusive relationship because she's his mechanic and she's free. Right, he doesn't have to pay for he doesn't have to pay for a mechanic apart from food because he's got family labor there, uh, and apparently she's very good at it when she's not ripping the wires out for having a tantrum. Um, let's see. How about the point about Luke covering up what she was doing? Did you recognize the device? I did not recognize the device. I just assumed it's a, that it's it was a, like it's, a, it's an orchard communicator. It was an orchard. Okay, so I didn't get from it that orchard uh, communicators were any different than anybody else's communicators in this universe because we've only seen two communicators on board this ship. She's the only one who has one. Okay, and I, I did get that. I just I did recognize the face of the man on the screen. Well, there's not much to make from make of it from what we've seen, other than she is guts. She's studying a guy and she doesn't want others to know that she's studying him at, at, at this stage along. So I just worked and on the Lucretia's this, got secrets at this. Lucretia has secrets. Dante and Percy knows she has secrets. She knows they know she has secrets, <laughs> but she's keeping it all secret. Does that make sense? And she's apparently useful. Yes. As, as, uh, as a, a bounty hunter. So, and again, you know, if she is an agent of an evil cabal, which Orchard has sort of been presented as an evil cabal, despite the fact that, of course, they don't think they're evil, but you know, cabals are all evil. Most evil and people don't think they are. Exactly. So she is an agent of evil, but they went out of their way to show us that she is more human and humane 
than Dante is in this episode. Yes. Uh, so Luke is loyal to her father. Okay. The only other thing that I can think of that I wanted to mention was, and I, this is one of the things I did look up. This was directed by George Mendeluk or Mendeluk yes. or I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't like him. And I'm, I'm pleased to say there are no more episodes by him. As far as I can tell, I did not like his directing. I, I, it drew me out of the story on several occasions. The, the lights flashing in the faces, the shots of guns going into coat pockets and, and, and the very, very awkwardly done chase sequence through the much too small space station for sets for, for that. Uh, it, it just, it did not strike me as somebody who was, he was going artsy. And at the same time, he just didn't get the important stuff. And I, I saw that and I go, I did not notice any of this in the last episode. I will go look to see and not there. I don't know if maybe they said, yeah, once is enough. Never mind. Don't come back. But not like the directing. It's on it. not the best career. I have his um, IMD, IMDb page up. He directed Did Meatballs. He directed Meatballs 3. They made a Meatballs 3. <laughs> it's horrible. It, it was a class, it was a staple of USA up all night. <laughs> ah, the, wow. the, edit, the edited version, of course. And he directed an episode of Highlander. Oh, it was more than one, wasn't it? And one of Due South. Oh, no, that's a shame. Well, that would be interesting to watch. My wife has all of Due South on video. I should maybe watch that to yes. see if it's weird. Um, and, uh, yeah, I looked and I kind of scanned it and I saw the Highlander and I saw the a couple of really cheesy movies. Scream, Die, Dead, Scream or something. <laughs> Some he directed weird... two episodes of Odyssey 5. Yes, I saw that. I'm not familiar with that show. Not the, uh, that wasn't, is that the one I think it was? Peter Weller series? Peter Weller series. Um, that one, Manny Cotto made that one um, right before he went to take over Enterprise. Mm. And I don't recall that one. That one was interesting i mean, it may be worthy of watching again it didn't last all that long either it was just uh, uh one season that was that's the this is the era that that i i did allude to last time where my television viewing kind of got jaded uh, or or i just said enough you know there used to be a day and age when it didn't matter how bad it was science fiction show came out I would watch it. I would watch every episode. I would give them my eyeballs, even though I wasn't hooked up to a Nielsen machine. And I would, I would watch the show because I, I starved for it. And then when Star Trek The Next Generation came out and they, they started the, was that the Paramount Network? Um, UPN was with Voyager. UPN. And, and then there was the Babylon 5, the P10. And suddenly we had all these shows that were coming out for these quote unquote networks. And, you know, we can carry that through Andromeda and this is an earth one. And there's, uh, oh, oh, earth two, which was on NBC. Earth. That was NBC. Yeah. That one was, <laughs> that was a whole different 
beast of bad. Um, yes, but, yes. You know, but, but all those, I guess Andromeda is the Kevin Sorbo, but you know what I'm talking yes. about. Farscape and... The invasion Friday, is interesting. Friday the 13th and War of the Worlds. And I loved yes. War of the Worlds, even though it was awful. And <laughs> at least parts of it. And, and it just started to be so much of it. It was so cheap. You know, there was, they, they all got a video, uh, a video toaster on an Amiga and they were cranking out their, uh, these shows. And I kind of reached the point where it's like, I need to be a little bit more discriminating. I can't just watch all of them. And then honestly, Star Hunter fell in that category at the time. It would have just been in the, you know, I, I, I don't know what to, to watch. Um, so I'll concentrate on trying to find rare stuff from the past kind of thing so uh that was uh you know that's how this slipped through the cracks just like so many of those other shows uh slipped through the cracks the first i i I get that um the first few episodes of star hunter focus on world building and meanwhile they're laying down plot elements that they start tying together um some in episodes in one episode um People will ref, people refer to some previous episode, and they get the the we, people we, the, and the writers started establishing connections, and by the time they got into the middle of the first season, they are cranking up the tension level. Well, I look forward to it. Well, I look forward to it. Um, I don't have anything else on my list of stuff, um, which I. In a way, I feel a little bad about because it, it seems to be a lot of picky. But on the other hand, it, it wasn't a great uh, it wasn't a great no. episode of, of any show. The so, next one's better. Fair enough. I, uh, all right, terrific. Do you have anything else that you want to bring up about this episode? Um, no, we've um, we've covered the points um, I had. The, the next episode will be family values. Family values. All right. All right. Well, in that case, Kenneth, thank you very much for joining me for this episode you're welcome and listeners i do hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol you've been listening to fusion patrol a listener supported podcast find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol come join the conversation on facebook or twitter All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.